So, during Jesus' day, there were several Messiah-type movements developing. Um, before Jesus' day, during his day, and after his day, you might look at Matthew 24 uh, as um, an indication of this. Matthew 24, uh, verse, I think it's around verse 5. Uh, Jesus said, um, verse 4, Matthew 24, verse 4, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name. Many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So, there were other people uh, coming around saying, I'm Christ. There were other movements besides what Jesus was doing. You know, even John the Baptist, we read in Matthew 11, verse 2, uh, John sent a question to Jesus and said, Are you the one that we should be looking for, or is someone coming after you? So there were many people arising, claiming uh, some sort of guidance from God, or claiming to be the Christ. But all these fizzled away. All these movements fizzled away. But Christianity, it stuck. It stuck. So out of all these movements, only the movement of Christ stuck around. What made that difference? What made the difference for Christianity? Of course, we know the answer to that right away. It's all about Jesus. Okay. There's no one like Jesus. He fulfilled the prophecies. He did the miracles. He qualified and... Um, uh, entitled his uh, followers, his apostles, to do the miracles. Uh, he had a teaching that was clearly from God. People were astonished at his teaching. He lived the perfect life. No one else had ever lived such a life. And of course, number one is that he was resurrected from the dead. He was resurrected from the dead. And this is the hinge. You ever had a door to fall off? The hinge? You ever had a hinge go bad? You ever had the, the holes where the screw go into the hinge where the hole gets bored out and your door is just, you know, a door is worthless without uh, good tight hinges. The resurrection of Christ is that hinge for all of us. Without it, then we just shut down. There is, there is no entering. There is, there is no, there's nothing for us without the resurrection of Christ. So turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll read about that for just a minute. And then we'll jump back to our two main chapters tonight. will be Mark 15 and 16. But notice how important the resurrection of Christ is. 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. And we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, then we are of all people most pitiful, most to be pitied. Especially notice that, if in this life only we hope then we of all people are most pathetic, pitiful. Because our entire basis for living is on the resurrection of the dead, and particularly the resurrection of Christ. So we're going to spend a little time with the resurrection of Christ this evening, but let's think about other things we've been thinking about. On Wednesday nights, we've been thinking about there's a cultural war and looking at different battles in that cultural war, one of the big battles is what people say about Christ. What do they say about him? Well, some people respect him, but don't follow his teachings. Other people have never been taught about Christ at all. And so therefore, they don't know that they should believe in him. Romans ten seventeen, as you know, says... Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. If, if there has not been any teaching, then, then they don't have anything to stand upon. They have no, no way of gaining belief. Then there are others who have been taught not to believe. That's a different category. There are people who are taught not to believe. That is, not to believe anything beyond what you can see and touch. That's basically humanism. That's, that's what we call humanism. That's, That's what we call unbelief, really. But life cannot be that. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. The reality of life is there are things in life that are beyond the sight and beyond the touch. There are the intangible realities of life. We call that the spiritual things. But there are some people taught that that is not, that's just foolishness. That that is, that is along the lines of leprechauns. That's along the lines of, um, of Tarzan and other legends like that. Looking at the resurrection of Jesus from, from these chapters uh, will help us uh, to see Jesus in a greater light. It will help us to see how authentic the resurrection is, and hopefully also to be inspired uh, by it. So that's our purpose this evening. Let's start in Mark chapter 15. Now, as you know, we could could hand out, not just me, but Tim, Nathan, Ken, Brother Chris, Brother Mark, everybody here basically could hand out a big worksheet on the evidences for uh, the resurrection of Christ. 
But for our purpose uh, this evening, let's focus, let's narrow it down to just two chapters here. Mark chapter 15 and Mark uh, chapter uh, 16. Notice with me, let's, let's read from Mark 15 beginning in verse 37. Our first reading will be Mark 15, 37 to 43. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage, went to Pilate, and asked for the body of Jesus Let's stop right there. Let's think about Joseph of Arimathea. Look how compassionate he is because he wanted a proper burial for Jesus. If he doesn't give Jesus a proper burial, what they do, they take all the victims of the crucifixions down and they, and they just big, dig a big old uh, hole um, the size of a small pond and throw all the bodies in there and then cover them up and they run away because of the odor and so forth. He wanted Jesus to have a proper burial, so he's going to give his own tomb uh, to Jesus. Notice also how concerned he is for the will of God. He himself is looking for the kingdom of God. Notice how he connects the kingdom of God with Jesus. It's not surprising because Jesus had been talking about the kingdom of God for quite some time. In fact, He would say in Matthew 16, you know, um, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And Peter, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. This kingdom comes into reality on the day of Pentecost, as you know. But look here, Joseph of Arimathea is looking for that kingdom. He wants to know more about it. He associates Jesus with that. So he has been learning about the will of God. So he's compassionate toward Jesus, but he's also concerned for the will of God. But notice it says here he's very courageous. What makes him courageous? Well, for me, it would be this unstable leader there named Pilate. Would anybody know what Pilate's going to do? Would he? I mean, Pilate didn't really want to crucify Jesus, but he went ahead and crucified Jesus. He knew that Jesus was innocent, but he went ahead and crucified him anyway. So how would you like to approach such a leader? What would he know? I mean, for all he knew, Pilate would, would send him to death or some kind of punishment. And so how courageous he is. But here's, here's the thing about Joseph also. He's a member of that Jewish council. Most of the Jewish council, what, was their, what were their thoughts about Jesus? They knew the prophecy. They knew the prophecy? Okay. Well, I would think, yeah, Joseph of Arimathea would, would 
good chance he would know about that prophecy about making his tomb with the rich man, with the rich. But most of the Jewish council wanted Jesus, what? Dead. Dead. What we appreciate about Joseph is he was a man of independent thought. Independent thought, not groupthink. Oh, how we need this today. Boy, this is, this is badly needed today, especially in religion, but in all walks of life. Okay. All his associates were saying this, but he had enough courage and character about him to say, I'm going to study this out for myself and see what's going on here with this man. This doesn't, this doesn't connect with me. This doesn't connect with reality. This doesn't make sense. And so this is something that's very, very important in religion, the religion of Christ. This is something that I think is, is a tremendous characteristic of Christianity. Jesus' religion is not for a few. As, as we were mentioning Sunday night, this book is every man's book. And our, our message to the world is, you know, we want you to check this out. This, this is, we, we don't want to teach anything that's not in this book. And if we do teach anything that's not in this book, we want you to point that out to us. You know, the Bereans of Acts 17, 11, and 12, they searched the scriptures daily to see if the preachers were saying it correctly according to the word. And that's exactly what needs to happen. That's, that's our message. And so... We see this man, Joseph of Arimathea, he comes and he asks for the body of Jesus before the Sabbath day. This is important. This is, this is going right along with God's ultimate plan that Jesus be buried on that Friday so that he would be raised on that third day, the first day. And on that first day, of course, that becomes the very important day uh, for for the Christian movement, for Christianity. So we see this here from uh, Mark 15. Let's read the next section. Mark uh, 15, verse 44 to 47. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of a rock, of the rock. And he rolled a stone against it, against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus saw where he was, he was laid. And notice how Mark, our gospel recorder here, uh, he is verifying that Jesus actually died. And notice the witnesses to this. Did Jesus actually die? Notice the witnesses here. First, there's Joseph of Arimathea. He's taking care of the burial, and he is an eyewitness that Jesus actually died and that he was actually buried. And he is, he is not, um, he's not somebody they drug out from, from some obscure place. He's well-known. He's on the Jewish council. He's well-respected. He's a rich man. He's a prominent man. And they all knew where Jesus was buried. Okay, the women know this. Even the, uh, even the authorities, the Roman authorities, knew where Jesus was buried. Okay. How do we know that the Roman authorities knew where Jesus was buried? They sealed that tomb. Yeah. 
the Jewish people said, you know, this, this deceiver, he kept saying he's going to be raised from the dead, and we think his disciples might try something, and so can we have you have a guard around the tomb? One place you read about this in the Matthew uh, 27. And so say, yeah, you've got a guard. Take them, take them and go. So everybody knew where this tomb was. So one witness to Jesus actually dying is Joseph of Arimathea. Another witness is the centurion. The centurion, the one who said, surely this was the Son of God. Okay, he's very much an expert, a military expert on executions. Another witness is Pilate because Pilate believed what the centurion said. And then there were these women these women, at least two of them or more. Notice here at the end of the chapter here, Mark 15, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So in talking about the resurrection of Christ, you can start like this and say, okay, did he actually die? Well, yes. Nobody's going to survive what Jesus went through. Did he actually die? Was he actually buried in a tomb? Yes. It was at a tomb that was a well-known, a well-known tomb where people knew where it was. The, who handled the burial? Okay, we see this. And then, was the tomb found empty? Well, yes, we'll see that it was. Okay. Was Jesus seen alive by people after uh, the tomb was found empty? Well, yes, yes. Okay. What about the witnesses of this? Okay. Were they credible? I mean, were there many of them? Yes. And so that's kind of how um, you can go in, in that direction and kind of stand up for the resurrection of Jesus to see that it's a, a very authentic account and um, there's, not, uh, there's not some sort of legend that has been made out of it. It's not, been, it's not a story that's been fabricated. Okay. All right, so notice here, uh, that brings us down to the end of Mark chapter uh, 15. Now let's, let's read chapter 16 now, verses 1 through 3. Chapter 16, 1 through 3. When the Sabbath day was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Notice how, again, Mark repeats the names of these ladies. In just about eight or nine lines here, he mentions these same ladies again. As if he's saying to the world, if you don't believe the, the account that I'm writing here, you've got these ladies that you can go and talk to. Okay? He's making sure that people knew who it was that, was that were the eyewitnesses of this. Not just these ladies, but also um, the disciples will come and see that the tomb is empty. But these ladies are eyewitnesses. Notice how it says here that um, they went to the tomb and then um, they asked uh, these questions. Think about the expectations of these ladies. Why did they have the spices? What were they going to do with those spices? So they used the spices 
hands and grabbings to uh, prepare the body? So are you saying that they expected to see the body in the tomb? So they were not expecting a resurrection. Even though Jesus had said it several times, what were they expecting to find? They were expecting to find the body there. Okay. Again, this speaks toward how this account is authentic because not even the closest ones to Jesus actually believed that he would be able to come back from the dead. They also asked this question, who will roll away the stone for us? Well, they hadn't thought this thing completely through. They probably thought, well, there'll be a soldier there or there'll be a gardener close by, there'll be a man close by that will help us roll away the stone. They hadn't thought this all the way through, but what we do know is they fully expected that the tomb would be there and the body would be there. Okay. But to their surprise, um, Jesus is not there. I want us to see how that speaks toward the this, this story here is a real story. Okay, it's, it's not a tale. It's not a legend that developed. This is this is true history we're reading. Okay. So that's Mark sixteen one through three, and then notice um, Mark sixteen beginning in verse four. Mark sixteen beginning in verse four, and looking up. They saw the stone, these women. They saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side. Notice they entered the tomb. First-hand look at what was in the tomb, especially what was not in the tomb. Okay. If you're going to have witnesses, it's nice to let them get close enough to observe what they're supposed to witness, right? So there they are right inside the tomb. I believe Peter will also run and come inside the, the tomb. We read that from other accounts. So verse 4 says, And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. They were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Notice the pattern that the angel here, and we know he's an angel from the other accounts of Matthew and, and Luke and, and John. But notice the pattern of the angel. First, he announces the gospel. He announces that Jesus has been risen from the dead. Okay. And then he invites inspection. Come and see. Come and see where he lay. Come and see the place. We want you to see. So he invites inspection. And then he gives them a commission. Go tell the disciples. That basically is the pattern for us as we go out with the gospel to reach the world. We want to Tell people about the gospel. Tell them all about it. Okay? And then invite inspection. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. Okay? Read it for yourself. Read it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Okay? Don't take my, I'm just a man. I'm just like you. Come and see. Come and see. Invite inspection. And then uh, charge them to go out into the world because 
when we bring somebody to the gospel and they learn it, then automatically they become, they become uh, teachers. They become sharers of the faith as well. Okay, so I, I love the pattern of the angel's words uh, here. Okay. Now, notice how that Jesus keeps his appointments. Notice this carefully in verse 7. They say, the angel says, Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Jesus has made an appointment with these uh, disciples. Look back in your Bible uh, to Mark 14. I believe it is. Is it verse uh, 28? Yeah. Jesus said to his disciples, After I am raised up, you think Jesus knows what's going on? He says, after I am raised up, this is before his crucifixion, as you know. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. To Galilee. And the angel here is repeating this, this appointment that Jesus has. Now, in your Bibles, run over to Matthew 28. And notice verse 16, I believe it is. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, uh, but some of them doubted. But notice this. Jesus makes an appointment with them. Jesus always keeps his appointments. Notice he told them a particular mountain to meet on. Not just any mountain. There were several little mountaintops in the Judea area, Jerusalem area, um, but a particular mountain in the north part in Galilee. Does Jesus have any appointments that he has uh, made with us? What do you think about that? They had judgment? Okay. What else? What other appointments that Jesus has made? Okay, worship. Worship. Matthew 26, 29, Jesus said, I will drink this new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now the kingdom has been set up. We're part of that kingdom. And when we worship and come together on the first day of the week, that's an appointment Jesus has made. He, has, he's, um, he said, I'm going to be there with you as you worship. As you worship. You might add there Hebrews uh, 2, 11 and 12 speaks of the Lord being in our midst as we sing, as we sing. So that's an appointment Jesus has made with us and we need to keep that appointment as well as we gather together. Then um, he's made an appointment in the sense of unity. When we unite together in his cause and in his word, uh, Matthew 18.20 says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's not talking about the uh, worship assembly there. That's, if you read back from Matthew 18.15 to 20, he's talking about if, if, two, if two sisters or two brothers or a brother and sister or whatever, if, if there's some sort of disagreement or some misunderstanding between them, then they are to go to each other and, and talk. In 99.9% of the cases, 
least in my experience. When you do that, then the misunderstanding is solved. Okay. And so he's talking about brethren coming together. Okay. So when we unite together, Jesus has an appointment with us. He's going to be with us. When we serve him, he's going to be with us. Okay. Hebrews uh, 13, 5 and 6 says Jesus is with us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. When we die, Paul says, Paul says, when we are absent from this body, then we are at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, 7 and 8. 6, 7 and 8. Maybe 6, 7, 8, 9 and 10. But it's there. So it's an appointment. When, when we die, the Lord knows it. He's, he's ready to meet us uh, as we make the journey from this life to the next. But also, as Sister Julie was saying, uh, Acts 17, 30 and 31, uh, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world through his son, through the very one whom he raised from the dead. He's going to judge the world. Okay. That's an appointed day. Nobody's going to change that day. No man. No circumstance on earth is going to change that day. God has appointed that day. When's it going to be, Brother Nathan? When he comes. Okay. We don't know that, do we? But when he comes. When he comes, the earth is going to be destroyed. Not until he comes. Not until he comes. This earth will remain. Go back to Genesis 8, 19 and 20. The seasons will continue. Okay. Until the Lord is done with the earth. And then judgment day will come. You can see how that's a little bit different. They don't call it global warming anymore, do they? They call it climate change. Climate change. And I just wonder if anybody just step back and say those words to yourself. Climate change. The word climate, you can substitute the word weather in there, can't you? So, say that to yourself. Weather change. You mean the weather changes? Yeah, and that's an issue. That will be the next thing that comes down the pike, by the way, that they throw at us will be climate change. Okay. Um, but we can resist that like we do so many things in the world because the Bible speaks clearly that nothing that man is doing or will do will end life on this earth until God gets ready for that to end. That's an appointed day. Jesus is going to keep that appointment just as much as he kept that appointment with the disciples on that mountain in Galilee. He said, tell the apostles and Peter. Peter had quit being an apostle. That's why Jesus had to go and recall Peter to be an apostle at 93 times. He said, I quit. I'm going fishing. So he had all the apostles go with him. Peter was definitely uh, discouraged here. It does say there in Mark, go tell the disciples and Peter I'm going to meet them. Because the last, what was Peter's last recognition? What was Peter's last memory of Jesus before he died? When he looked at him, caught through. And Peter went out and did what? He cried bitterly. And he went out and wept bitterly. So Jesus was concerned about Peter's faith, and he wants Peter to be sure to be there as well. So, 
Uh, notice how Jesus not only keeps his appointments, but he keeps his promises. The angel here says, just as he told you, when the Lord says something, then we can know he's going to keep his promises. Is there anybody that you know of you can trust more than Jesus? I mean, he is the perfect person. He, he, he can't do anything but keep his word. So the things he has promised us will take place, and we can be just as sure as that as we have been sure about anything, more sure of that than we, than we have been sure of anything on earth. And notice here in verse 8, the women go, and really they, I guess in a sense they disobey, because the angel says in verse 6, stop being afraid. And then they go in verse 8, and they went out and fled from the tomb, and they were trembling and astonished, and, and that just seized them. In other words, they were petrified. And then they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So they are, um, they are trembling, they're astonished, and they're afraid, and it's like it had seized them. Okay. And we certainly can understand, because this is so spectacular. This is, this is the event, this is the epic event of all history. But still they were told not to be afraid. I have something I need you to do. And yet... They had a difficult time speaking because they were so petrified. Which, of course, teaches us that it's going to be hard for us to serve Christ if we're in the same state of mind. So, we see here that Jesus' movement stayed on earth. It, it has grown. And here we are. And the big difference maker... Not the only difference maker, but the big one, of course, is his resurrection. And look what we have found here. Notice how authentic the story is. Just reading, we, not, we didn't include Matthew or John or Luke in this. Just reading Mark's account here. Notice the little details of how true uh, to history uh, this really is. And hopefully this can help build... Um, the faith that we already have. What comments do you have further on uh, the resurrection of Christ and how that runs contrary to our culture? Go ahead, Brother Paul. I think you've got to keep in mind or kind of put it into perspective that up until this point of seeing the empty tomb that none of the disciples and even the apostles fully understood This certainly different from their experience. Certainly different from anything that they had really um, gathered in their mind. So, I see your point. But at the same time, um, this has been 
this has been taught um, in the Old Testament. Uh, the story of Jonah, you know, was supposed to teach about the resurrection of Christ. That's the lesson they were supposed to get from that. The story of Abraham, remember that? And how that he was going to sacrifice his own son, right? That was supposed to teach not only the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, but also his resurrection uh, from the dead. When Jesus was on earth, he would say, um, uh, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And they thought he was talking about the the Jewish temple, but he's talking about his his body. Notice here in Mark, um, since you're in Mark already, you can just flip back. Look at Mark. Uh, 8, 31. Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. 8, 31. Notice Mark 9, 31 as well. Um, For he was teaching his disciples, Mark 9, 31, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Okay. These are big big things that Jesus is talking about. Mark chapter 10. So with, with this 2,000 years worth of teaching and prophesying, why was there still so much unbelief and unbelief and Even today, you mean? Well, up until the resurrection, from, you know... Say from Abraham onward? The yeah. I think it would be the same reason as today, because you're so focused on what you see and touch, and not on what God can do. But that's not an excuse, because they have plenty of evidence that Jesus is powerful. Think about all the things that, especially those closest to him... And even the multitudes, think about the things they had seen. Think about the things they had seen. Jesus do. How he had interrupted nature several times. Think about what the Jews would believe from the Old Testament. God parting the sea and um, destroying Sodom and Gomorrah and, all, and, and even the creation. You know. So if you, believe, if you can believe in God creating the world, then... It shouldn't be, even though I understand it's difficult. But still, what did Jesus expect? He expected them, he expected them to put all this together. You know, if, if you believe in one aspect of God, then you've got to believe the other aspects of God. You know, that's, so I think that was Jesus' expectation. Now, the reality of human beings is that we fall short. And I think that's the lesson that comes to us is, are we going to fall short in our belief? These guys, in the face of real evidence, some of them were falling short. Now later they won't. Later uh, they're going to grasp a lot of this and they're going to go uh, stir crazy in sharing the gospel, uh, but they're still putting it all together uh, now. I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I think there are, you can see human weakness, but also you can see they had plenty of evidence to believe. Um, 
to believe this. Now, I can understand, certainly, we all can understand how astonishing this is to see a man so crucified, uh, almost beaten to a point where he's unrecognizable, and then to see him alive, to believe that he would rise from that. Nobody, that's never happened. Um, but then at the same time, think about how Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So then why can't this happen? Jesus raised uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead. You know? So on that side of it, it should be able to happen. So kind of a back and forth, back and forth type of thing. Yeah, he raised the widow's son. Luke chapter 7, that's right. So there's been resurrection. Jesus conducted resurrection uh, prior to his own resurrection. So they should not have been so uh, out of sorts about it, it seems. But then we also understand human weakness at the same time. Well, I wanted to read this to you. Um, as Paul talks about the second coming of Jesus... He said, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, he says, Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus will God bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So the, the, another big event is coming, the second coming of Jesus, where we meet him in the air. So if you believe one aspect of what God has done, then we ought to believe the other aspects of what God has promised. Thank you so much. Um, we've gone a little long, but uh, we have the authority to do that sometimes.